When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. They could break here, Chelsea. This could be the moment. Frank Lampard for Chelsea. It's Carvalho to his right. Lampard for the title. Lampard, it's 2-0. It's Chelsea's championship. And 50 years of waiting have come to an end. Lampard comes out to Essien. Oh my goodness. It's a counter-attack. It's a deep drop back. And now it's in the middle. Drop it. Drop it. Drop it. Drop it. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Chessy Hour. I'm joined by a nice, a nice cast, you know, today. You know, I've got two um, regulars. We've got a special guest, you know, a friend of the show, Sam. Sam, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I'm in a happy mood. The country seems in a happy place. It's a good time. It's good. I honestly cannot blame you, bro. I honestly can't blame you. <laughs> Meads, how you doing, bro? Yeah, I can't complain, man. I'm good. I'm good. good to see you on the show, man. Timson, how you doing, man? Good to be on with you, babs. Good to see you, man. Good to see you. And yeah, before we get to the show, a bit of um, a bit of house cleaning stuff to do. Um, fan slide, guys. This is the Euro final coming out right now. I don't know about you guys, but I've been trying to rack up the points. Babs, 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 babs. I've got a. I've got to uh, interrupt you there, my brother. Unfortunately, fan slide for the final. Um, the owner said that they won't be doing it because the whole purpose of fan slide is to make football games a bit more enjoyable and interactive. But this is a World well, it's a Champions well, not Champions League. I'm saying World Cup Champions League. It's the European Championship Finals, and um, with that, this is a, probably the first experience that pretty much any one of us has ever seen in our lifetimes of England being in a major final. 
So they've decided to actually pause until the new season. So Fanside will be back in August um, for the 2021-22 season. But for the final, they've dropped it out of the servers because one, it will be too tense for anyone to be focusing on Fanside. And two, this is a moment, I guess, uh, uh, an occasion that we as fans should just try and enjoy it alone. So, yeah, that's why they dropped it out. So, the housekeeping, I, I guess we just kind of covered that, bro. Perfect. Well, you guys heard it here first. We'll be back in for the Premier League season. But, yeah, let's get straight into the show. So, first of all, guys, I wanted to um, discuss with you guys some of the transfer dealings because I don't know about you, but there seems to have been like a relative like calm. You know, there's been a couple murmurs. You know, like there's been a couple bits of interest here. And one of the um, key players that's really them shun in this Euro um, campaign, um, Myla, the right wing back for Atalanta, we've, we've seemingly been linked to him. And I wanted to get you guys' opinions on um, how you guys have felt um, his Euro campaign has been and what you think he could offer to the team. I'm going to start with you, Tim, Timson. To be honest, I don't really know too much about him. Um, but even then, the position that he plays in isn't one that I would class as a priority anyway, to be honest. Interesting, interesting. Meads? Um, yeah, Milo's a good player. Very technical. Um, yeah, he's got unreal ability, both-footed, um, quick, relatively athletic. Um, quite a good defender as well. Um, if you looked at him yesterday, I felt like he was getting cooked on occasions, but he, he had... he got, I think he got the better of Saka. He got the better of Saka because he played left wing back um, yesterday. Um, he got the better of Saka... And Sterling cooked him a couple of times, but he's a good player, man. He's a good player. Definitely could be a good weapon. And also, when it comes to, I guess, squad depth, I know people always look at it, and I think, well, a player like Myla, I think he's got ability. I wouldn't say that he'd be a squaddy. You know what I mean? I think he could potentially improve us, because I don't really think that our wing-back situation is as great as maybe we won the Champions League, but I don't think it's as great as um, people may assume it to be because you've got Aspila Quetta who's not really a wing back you've also got Reese James who again is not really a wing back playing there um, obviously Tino Livermento I think he really should get an opportunity so really and truly I don't, I don't really want to see much of Aspi or Reese at wing back to be fair so maybe another wing back might be sensible but who knows yeah, that is a fair point and Sam I'm going to have to reach out to you do you have any opinions on the potential um, interest that we seem to have uh, yeah, I kind of agree with both. So I agree with Timpson in the sense of wing-back's not a position we desperately need. Um, if, it's a te- if it's a case of kind of the funds to go elsewhere, I'd prefer that. But I also agree with Meads in the sense of our right wing-back p- um, position isn't as strong as it kind of seems. Because Reese James, it seems, obviously there's been murmurs that he's going to be a centre-back of a free, like a right centre-back in a free. Um, and Aspie's old and... Yeah, um, he's not the best at wing back anymore. He's okay. He's okay. I actually think Asu's better than people give him credit for. But yeah, he's old and he's probably not going to uh, be around for much longer. So I wouldn't say no to the move. And it's been clear from this Euros that he can also play left wing back um, as a right footer. And that's not exactly a bad thing to have if you ever need it. If kind of Tuchel ever thinks that's, there's a scenario where a right footed left wing back would be, would be um, a good fit. So, yeah. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And on the, on the topic of other transfer news, um, a recent report came out that um, Petr Cech seems to be quite the big fan of Kamavinga. You know, the, the news um, this week has been that United have submitted a 30 million bid. 
you know, obviously the young French talent, he has a year left on his contract. And this this would seem like a smart um, kind of acquisition for Chelsea to make. And I want to come back to you, Sam, to ask you, what do, what do you think about this signing? Do, do you think this could potentially step on like a Billy Gilmore's toes or do you think he's too good of a player to even ignore? Um, I do agree he could step on, like he's a similar age to obviously kind of all the centre-mids we've got coming through. Um, I, I will confess I haven't watched, I don't watch much Camavinga, so I don't kind of know the talent he is. I can just kind of go on what people have said. And there is a kind of case of when um, there's, like it's a bit Havertz, like did we need Havertz? But when there's kind of a player that talented and that young, would you be silly to kind of miss the chance of signing him? It could like bite you in the arse. But at the same time, um, we have a lot of kind of good centre mids coming through. So yeah, it could possibly step on their toes. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce that straight to Meads. So Meads, um, you know, Sam's just mentioned a couple of good points there. But do you think in in this case, Kamavinga is, is such a talent whereby you just can't afford to let him, as he, as Sam mentioned, um, go to like a Man United? Do you think that this is the kind of sign that Chelsea must be making? Um, I wouldn't say must. Um, I like him. He's a very good player, very good talent. Um, has got the potential to do great things in football. Um, uh, will it step on Billy's toes? Potentially. Potentially. That being said, there's no guarantees that Billy makes it at Chelsea. Um, there's no guarantee that even Camavinga, if he comes, that he'd, he'd make it at Chelsea. You think when the Wasp players are so young, you, you really don't have much guarantees. Now, in terms of their ability and talent, I think Camavinga and Gilmore are pretty at similar levels in terms of what they can go on to achieve in football. That being said, you've still got N'Golo Kante, Jorginho, Kovacic, and maybe Jorginho, there's talks about him moving on, maybe not this season, but the season after. Um, obviously, N'Golo Kante is at 30 now, so you're going to be managing his games and managing, um, I guess, his workload generally. And after that, you're going to kind of look to phase him out of the side. Whilst I wouldn't do it now, because I still think he's got at least another year or two in him, um, you need to start thinking for the future. So Kamavinga, um, they could definitely come in um, and he'd definitely be a good signing but you know you've got to look at the likes of profiles and w- what kind of profile does he fit does he fit as a natural destroyer does he fit as a box to box he can do multitudes of things he's very very good in that regard um, but you need to think about I guess the composition of that midfield um, maybe a Jude Bellingham similar age group again uh, might be a, a, a better option but that being said Camavinga is a great talent and obviously he's only got one year left on his deal he specified to Ren that he's not signing again. And whilst Petr Cech's got this good relationship with Ren, we might as well exploit it if we can. You know what I mean? So it's something to look look at for sure. As per usual, Meads, eloquently stated there. And yeah, for, for me to give my opinion, I've, I've got to agree with you both. You know, it could potentially step on Billy's, um, Billy's toes, but as Meads mentioned, you know, it's, there's no guarantees of who's going to make it here at Chelsea. And if he is to come at um, such a fee, you know, there's, there's a massive potential you can make a good profit on him. So, you know, you've also got to look at that because that's kind of side of football. I know they're just that, but I just think he's a, he's a talented young player. You know, you can play in multiple positions. You can play as a six or an eight. And I just feel like when, when you have a player like on the market who has such high potential, you may want to be interested in going on to, to going on to sign him. And even then, talking to another um, young French midfielder, it does seem that um, Chalmany, um, Ch- his name does seem to be coming up again, that Tuchel seems to be a fan. 
And I just wanted to get your opinions on him, um, Meads, and just if what type of player you think he is from what you've seen. And do you think he'd even want to be coming to Chelsea? Because I've heard there have been a couple of reports that, you know, he's um, quite um, comfortable in Monaco. And which is obviously understandable, you know, seeing he's, like, seeing he's, still, like, he's still a young player, you know, this is like his first season coming as a prominence. So I just wanted to get your opinion on that, Meads. Um, with many, I think he's a good player. Um, and, and I think with him, and I, what I kind of encourage with a lot of young players, in fact, is go to a place where you, you, you kind of are assuming to play. Um, because he's so he's not necessarily really young, but he's old, he's quite young. And you don't kind of want him to be put into that, you know, fourth choice role. I think I think that's a very um precarious situation for a new signing. And I think it's slightly different for Camavinga because I think Camavinga's got this reputation as well as the talent to go with it. Um Tush many hasn't really got that rep. And you can kind of fall into the cycle of like almost like what Mitchy did when he signed for Chelsea, knowing that he's going to be number two and pretty much that's all he ever was. He wouldn't ever get a chance to start or play a significant minutes um, at the club. I know obviously there's reports that Tuchel likes him, obviously, but we're hearing conflicting reports about him being Tuchel's choice or not. Um, so it's very difficult to assess, but he is a good player. He's very good at passing, very technical um, again, he's another one that could play in a multitude of roles. Um, future French international for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like whilst you're looking, and I understand why you're looking to bolster the midfield, I just don't feel like the midfield area is an absolute necessity because um, I just feel like we've got enough in our in our ranks to kind of, I guess, if ever there were injury crisis. Um, we could just pull on them rather than having to spend 30 to 40 million on a on a squad player. And that's not to say that Tuchel will ever forever be a squad player or or even Camavinga will ever be a squad player. But I just feel like there's better utilisation of our resources. There can be better utilisation of our resources. And um, yeah, I don't know if midfield is really where it is. I think maybe if you, if you want to look further down the line, maybe in the window, yeah. Um, but for now, I don't think it's pressing per se. But again, you know, whilst there's other clubs invo- involved and interested, you know, um, I guess it's probably some they might give the club the inter- impetus to try and get the deal done. But I, I, I'm not really, I'm, I'm a bit indifferent about that signing, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I do agree with you. And you actually raised a point that I don't think I would have even been able to think of in a moment in the fact that when a player does come with a, with a, with a reputation, you know, there is a lot more of impotence for them to be started, you know, especially at a club like Chelsea, where's a, a, a child many who doesn't have the kind of reputation of a Camavinga, will he be able to have that um, sort of like respect to be able to be like a, to be able to be like a, a shoo-in in the, in the lineup and actually get like a run of games. And yeah, so speaking of child many again, you know, I know um, my, 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 my fellow um, correspondent, Timpson, I know you keep your ears to the streets. You know you, you do seem to be quite um quite clued up with the French and um, French foot, young footballers. So I wanted to get your opinions on on, on Chalmeni as well. You know, do, do you think he's the kind of player that we, we need here at Chelsea, or do you think he's just like the flavor of the month? Um, when someone like Joe Tweedy and um, others like Cesc Fabregas, who are professional. Uh, who's a professional footballer, waxes his lyrical on player, you have to take note. Um, I've read detailed analysis on Chomeni and um, he has, he's not without his uh, faults that he can definitely improve on the way he receives the ball at times um, and his 
contribution from um, an offensive end when he's playing in that box-to-box role. But um, with Chouameni, there's definitely something there. And I would like a profile of a player who is um, defensive-minded and um, athletic enough to get around the pitch um, the way Jorginho, who has been fantastic, by the way, in the Euros and um, this season just gone, but a player who's a bit more dynamic uh, movement-wise, uh, who can, who's comfortable in a single pivot. Um, so I think that profile of midfielder um, seems like Tremeni to an extent, um, but I'm not kind of dead set on that. It has to be Tremeni. Obviously, you know I'm going to plug um, Trev Chalaba, um in-house, uh, in-house option, but uh, Tremeni is definitely a talent. A very very interesting piece there. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to bounce. I'm gonna bounce it back to you there, you know, because I've I've watched a, I've watched a couple of these games, especially for the um, under 21s and um in the in the youth Euros before they got knocked out, and I watched a couple of games towards the end of the season. And from what I've seen, it does seem that as though um I don't really think he's a DM uh, as as such. I think he's a bit more box to box. You know, he did play in in, in the midfield too with um. Oh, I forgot his name for um for Monaco, but yeah, he he did play in the, mid- in the midfield too, not just with Fabregas, and even for um even for France, he did seem to be he did seem to be venturing on the ball a lot more forward thinking, you know, and I do feel like I, I don't know if he's gonna be that kind of guy that's gonna be able to be the solo anchor in the midfield. And I'm not sure if he has the um, actual like passing volume that Jorginho has, but I do think it'll be interesting to see what um, Tuchel's plans are with him because he does seem to be a talented young player. And he is a player that we seemingly are seeming to be linked with. And yeah, um, so going on to another French player, you know, Olivier Giroud, you know, f- fan, real, real cult hero. Some would say legend, you know, he ha- he's had amazing, amazing moments at the club. You know, he's won, he's won it all when it comes to Europe. He's won the Champions League now, as well as the Europa League. He also won um, the FA Cup, you know, a couple of seasons ago. And what can I say about him? He's, he's had a couple of big goals, a couple of big moments. He's been a player that really has seemed to be a really good loyal servant to the club. You know, he even signed that contract so he could get some money you know, in, in, in the summer. I just wanted to get you guys' opinions on Giroud, you know, as he um, signs off his Chelsea career. So I'm going to start with you, Sam. Yeah, I mean, I'll be the first to say that the Giroud move, when it first happened, I was like, oh, it didn't really excite me. But he's done a hell of a lot better than I would have ever thought. Um, he's a good player. He has his, like, he has his strengths. Um, I think he he's only ever been good enough to kind of be back up for Chelsea. Um, but every time he's had to come in and do his job, he pretty much has. He's gone through like kind of really good periods uh, where he's scored kind of a number of goals, uh, coming on as sub, even getting some starts. Um, so yeah, as kind of as Chelsea player, like, and he's always kind of carried himself really well. Um, sat on the bench, never moaning, just was kind of, a really good professional. Um, yeah, so in kind of in terms of his how he's been at Chelsea, I can't really speak highly enough of him in terms of what he's done. Um, so yeah, thank you, Drew. Thank you, Drew. Well put. I'm going to bounce it um, to you, Timson. Do you um, not not just to know how you've um, felt Drew's been as a as a as a servant to the club, but do you agree with Sam in the fact that um, he was only ever good enough to be a backup? And what, just just give me your overall thoughts on him, his career here at Chelsea so far. Yeah, so I think um, ever since he left Montpellier, I believe he's always been criticised, particularly at Arsenal, for not um, scoring enough goals. And he didn't come with that reputation as a goal scorer. Um, but that being said, he 
allowed us he he allowed us to kind of extract even more ability from our best player at, um for the couple of seasons that he was still here Eden Hazard being the best target man that um he's played with or in the world one of the two comments Eden made about him um he's chipped in with some very key goals and some key moments um obviously the bicycle kicker Atleti is doing the rounds on social at the moment uh and I'm happy for him in um not only I'm happy that he was able to kind of win things with Chelsea, but the fact that um, the young talent that we've got coming through was able to see a player um, with such professionalism. Obviously, um, Frank Lampard commented, com- mentioned it uh, on, on several occasions about his professionalism when he was pretty much out in the wilderness uh, under Lampard. And you didn't hear any stories. Um, I read a detailed article about him on The Athletic, about how he's a devout Christian and how he never kind of lost confidence. He, he never kind of lost sight of what he was hoping to achieve at Chelsea. And ultimately, um, I think he's done very, he's been a very, very good servant for the club. And if we knew what he was going to be when we signed him, we would not have said a word. Um, we'd be very happy with the signing. Um, so overall, I think I wish him all the best and um, uh, I wish him success uh, wherever he goes. Giroud's definitely a funny one. He's definitely a funny one because before he came to Chelsea, de- we, I didn't rate him. I didn't rate him at all. In fact, I just thought that, you know, he's an okay player, no real quality, super inconsistent. But as he came to Chelsea, not only has, in the time that he's been on the pitch, been a consistent scorer, he's just a very top man. He's a proper top, top man. Um, You can see how he is with the rest of the team and the players. Even when he's not playing, you can see that he, he carries himself exceptionally well. Like, you never hear a bad word about him. Like, I, I know, other than the French national team, but that, that's, that's there, not here. At Chelsea... All of the youth players adore him. You know, they say he's a, he's a massive example to follow. And um, yeah, man, I, honest, honestly, I feel like not only has he proven myself wrong, but I could say probably uh, a large proportion of the Chelsea fans, he, he's, proven, um, he's proven them wrong massively. And I guess we could thank Antonio Conte for, for looking to bring him in um, because, yeah, he, he's, he's been an absolute hero. I wouldn't say legend for sure, no, but I'd say cult hero. Absolutely up there with, with, with the likes of probably Branislav Ivanovic, those sorts of levels, um, in my opinion. Because, yeah, Giroud, he's done it all here, man. Europa League, um, he's not won the Premier League, but he's won the Europa League. Um, Champions League, you know, FA Cup. Yeah, man, he, he, he's enjoyed, he's enjoyed. And obviously in between that, he's won the World Cup with France. So he, he's had an amazing career, amazing career. So I just, yeah, wish him the best of luck to go to Milan, link up with Tomori again. And yeah, man, yeah, it's good vibes. Good vibes, Jared. Good vibes and good vibes indeed. And yeah, so just to round up that um, transfer dealings um, section. In fact, before we move off, another interesting thing that, um, that that's really popped up to me of, of recent is the fact that we've got two centre backs who um who it seems as though you know too cool. You know, he's, he's revitalised them here at Chelsea, and it does seem as though the two centre backs in in question, Rudiger and Christensen. They've only got a year left in their contract. You know, it doesn't, doesn't seem like they, they're going to re-sign yet from what I've heard anyway. I just want to get you guys' opinions. Do you think is the, is, a, is the right opportunity to sell them on the high, you know, come off a Champions League win? No, there's, um, there's um, talks um, about Chris Jensen. He, he's signing a new deal. Um, they're just having conversations in regards to that. 
So I'm I'm pretty sure Chris Jensen will sign a new deal. In terms of Rudiger, I don't think I think he's open to staying. I think he's open to staying, but I don't know if yeah, I don't, I don't know um if the talks have begun, but he's definitely open to staying. But yeah, it's just one of them things. And I think I think I wouldn't sell either, to be honest. I wouldn't I wouldn't sell either. Um I think Rudiger's been imperious for us. And I think if you extend this contract by maybe another year or two, and you've got Gerhi in the squad, you know, you've got Gerhi, you know, Rudiger's what, 28? Um, Christensen just turned 25. So, yeah, once you get, I think you get the right balance of profiles. I think, especially we're going to be sticking to the 3 4 3 system. I think, um, yeah, I think you, you sign them up for sure. Because um, obviously, as he's getting older, he plays as lateral centre back. Um, so, yeah, I think you sign up Christians and Rudiger, to be honest. I think they're both very important and both proven that they're actually very good players. You know what I mean? And, you know, the, the way that they were set up before wasn't conducive with the way, you know, they could perform at the best level. But absolutely, one thing that you can say about Christiansen especially is that he, he's gone on to a new level under Tuchel. Um, obviously, we all know about Rudiger and his um, reprieve, but Christiansen for me, has been imperious, absolutely imperious, ever since Tuchel came in. And he was imperious for Denmark in the European Championships. Obviously, he went out yesterday. Um, I'm not going to include it because, you know, he went off at when it was 1-1. So, no one's going to blame him. You know the vibes. You know the vibes, indeed. You know the vibes, indeed. So, yeah, to run the transfer listing, transfer dealers, we're going to head over to the you know, the Chelsea. Um, we're going to actually talk about the Chelsea players' performances during the Euros. And, Mead, you mentioned a good point there. You know, Christian, he's had an amazing Euro campaign. You know, it did seem as though Denmark are a lot more um, defensively solid whilst he's um whilst he was on the pitch. And I want to get um you um your opinion, Simon. What were your initial um opinions on Chris at the beginning of the season, and how do they compare to now following the end of the season and his um obviously impressive um Champions League as well as European um performance overall this season? Yeah. So in terms of Christensen, how I felt about him at the start of the year. Uh, compared to now is very different. Um, I was a big fan of Christensen kind of two years ago um, when he was kind of getting games uh, at Chelsea consistently after his uh, loan spell. I really thought he kind of would go on. And then he kind of seemed to just have an issue that um, he just never really kicked on and kind of you always knew he was going to kind of do um, have a kind of have a nightmare game every kind of five or six games and yeah I think obviously at Chelsea is kind of when you haven't got that reputation and we have a kind of revolving door of managers um, he kind of is never I don't think managers come in and go yeah I'm going to start Christensen like that's my guy I'm going to start like I don't I feel like he's never been that guy um, hopefully now I think we should definitely in terms of what you're speaking about earlier Christensen definitely sign him to a new deal and I hope um, he does um, because hopefully now Tuchel's kind of had what six months of him, and he looks at him as like, yeah, you're my guy. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of lean on you to be the main centre back. Um, so yeah, uh, and then in terms of how he's played in the Euros, I think he's kind of played as a CDM, hasn't he, in a lot of the games? Um, kind of CDM that drops back, and um, his role's been quite fluid. Um, yeah, he, he generally plays as a CB, but. He pushed like sometimes like the Denmark tactically they just adapt in game, so mm. he then slots into midfield 
makes it a three man midfield and plays yeah. with them. So, so they changed like not, a four kind yeah, of three three. So it's not it's not like a traditional DM, it's almost like a um yeah, auxiliary type role. Like it just adapts and adjusts. I mean, yeah, yeah. And it obviously he's looked good. Like Denmark will probably look better when he's on the pitch. So if he's kind of able to do that, then hopefully he's kind of turned that corner. And it's not that strange for a centre back to kind of come into the best years kind of at 25, 26. Um I, th- I think that's kind of a normal path for a lot of centre backs to take if you kind of look throughout football. Um, so, yeah, I really hope he signs a new deal. And, um, yeah, he's played really well for Denmark. Well put together. And, Timson, I'm going to push it on to you. How, have you, um, how impressed have you been by Christians and Remontada? Oh, superb. I did not see it in him. I, like um, many others, thought he's not a centre-back for the Premier League. He's probably best suited into Italy, Spain, France, anywhere less physical, basically. And I thought under several managers, this is the best we've got from him. Um, He made mistakes in the Lampard era where um, one high profile mistake for me was Aston Villa, where he got, he lost the ball, got tackled or fouled or whatever, stayed down and then um, decided, you know, I'm just going to try and make up the play. But by then it was far too late. I was very much ready to um, see the back of Christensen. And then, um, yeah, the fact that Tuchel's managed to put him in a tactical setup that um, makes him comfortable and gets the best out of him, but the fact that he's able to take those that that opportunity and just excel, and then um, like reproduce that form for his um, country is even is just superb. Um, obviously, the standout game for him is probably the one where he stepped into midfield at the Euros, and there were shouts of him being a better DM than Declan Rice. So um, I'm just amazed by uh, his turnaround this season under since Tuchel came in. And I genuinely will hold my hands up and say I didn't think he had it in him. Well put, well put. Yeah, and that was a very standard performance against Wales where he did an excellent man-marking job on Aaron Ramsey. You know, he understood the assignment, as people do tend to say. And yeah, uh, moving on to um, two other Chelsea players. Um, Sam, you especially, I'm going to want to get your opinion on this. You know, you're a big Chilwell fan. You know, it does seem as though, you know, Chilwell's not going to get a, a look in, you know, in, into the Euros this, into this, the Euros this campaign. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, do, do you think it's, it's very much down to the COVID, um, the COVID situation him and Mount had? Or do you think it's just due to the fact that Shaw is just a better left back right now in, in the current setup? I think um, the COVID situation definitely didn't help. Um, there's no saying, like, you never know what was going to happen, but I think he probably had a good chance of maybe getting a run out in the Czech Republic game, if um, not for the kind of COVID situation. Um, I kind of did think Chilwell was better than Shaw. I kind of, I still do think Chilwell was better than Shaw, I'll say that. Um, but, like, I my initial points at the start of the year was whatever left back we play, I don't think it's going to make a major difference to how England play. Um, But yeah, obviously how well Shaw's played, I can't say I was right um, because there's no telling what Chilwell would have done, but Shaw's been really good. And um, yeah, he's definitely coming off a a better season than Chilwell. Obviously season's been a bit different. It's kind of first year at Chelsea. Um, you could say Chilwell's had a more successful year because we won the Champions League and he played really well in the final. Um, but overall, Shaw's obviously definitely had a better season on a personal level. Um, 
but yeah, I, I, I think he definitely, when we were um, 4 0 up against Ukraine or even 3 0 up, I think he made a few subs and Chilwell was on the bench. And I definitely think he could have brought him on at that point. I don't know if there's something going on. Like, obviously, there's been reports that he doesn't like Grealish before. And I don't know, there's reports he doesn't like certain players. Maybe he doesn't like Chilwell. But I, no one ever said that before. So I don't think it's kind of fair to say it now just because he's not playing. But yeah, I think there's a few opportunities he definitely could have come on. Um, and yeah, he's just unlucky. Basically, we've got good left backs and good right backs. So whichever one's play, the other one's just unlucky. It's not that they're bad or anything. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Well put. And yeah, we we do know Southgate lost his fullbacks. I'm going to bring it on to you, Meads, because I know um, you mentioned um, earlier on this week on the Touchline account that Shaw has been one of your top five in performance for England. So... I just want to get your opinion on um on how you think um Chilwell's best opportunity would be to ever come back into the side, or do you um, just think Shaw's just better? I, yeah, I do think just just plainly Shaw's, Shaw's a better player. Um, both both ways. Um, that's not saying that Chilwell's a bad player. Um, I, I don't think Chilwell's a great player, whereas I think Shaw's a great player. I think Luke Shaw. What one thing that I think people had questions in regards to him was his mentality for a large part of his earlier um, career people were saying that his his mentality is all all over the place doesn't look after himself his diet's all over the place etc etc and he was going through a lot of things um, to be honest Um, he's not going to go into it quite yet I think you probably said he'd probably get into it in the later part of his career or once he retires but Shaw's going through some stuff and um, it looks like he's gotten over these things because he he's been exceptional. Um, for me, definitely top top three performers for England this this um, this Euros. Um, and yeah, levels wise, he's been top draw. I don't even think he's put a step wrong. Um, so for Chilwell to get back into the side, I think there will need to be a, a complete elevation in his performances, as well as um, an ele- a, a decline in Luke Shaw's. Now. Of course, many would have thought that, you know, Ben Chilwell won the Champions League, you know, Reese James won the Champions League, and, they, you know, they, they were integral to winning that, in fact. Um, and they should really start. But I, I, one thing I do like about Southgate is that he's his own man, and he isn't going to listen to noise from, um, you know, the outside. Um, so it was very easy for him to, you know, again, especially in the, after the Scotland game, very easy for him to, like, go hell for leather and just make massive changes. But, no, he kept composed. Um and yeah, I don't know if Chil- maybe Chilwell might have started the Czech Republic game. Maybe I- I'm I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but it- it's quite clear that he does think that there's a clear gap between Chilwell and Shaw. Considering that when substitutions are being made and Chil- Shaw does come off, it's often off for Trippier because it seems like maybe Southgate just trusts him more, trusts Chil- um trusts the Trippier more defensively. And he, underst- he understands what he needs to do when he comes on the pitch. Um, so it's like Trippier has one of his um, trusted lieutenants in there, um, whereas Chilwell's just kind of on the peripheral, um, which is a shame for him because he's had a fantastic season. I don't think that even if, if, if England win the, um, the Euros uh, on Sunday, 
I don't think anyone's going to say, oh, Chilwell, yeah, you didn't play. You're not part of it. Because really and truly, Chilwell, was, uh, he, he played this part in getting England to the Euros as well, as did Reese James, um, as did a lot of the players, to be honest. So, um, you know, it's a squad game. It's a team game. Um, so I don't think Chilwell's going to be too sad about it. I think personal pride, maybe, but might be a bit dented. But you can't really argue, especially with the performances that Luke Shaw has been putting out. I don't think anyone could argue, even the most biased Chelsea fan can really complain too much about that. Mm, fair enough. That's very well put. And yeah, um, going on to another Chelsea player, you know, Mason Mount. There's been a lot of them discourse about his role in the England team. You know, a lot of people have said um, they've been a bit confused as to why he's played for 90 minutes. You know, a lot of people have said they don't, they're not big fans of him in the number 10 role. And I wanted to get your um, opinions, um, Tim, on so, um, Mason Routes' um, role in England squad. Is it overstated? Is he assuring to start every single game? And what, what do you think about his performance overall during the Euros this, in this Euro campaign? Um, I was asked about this um, by Mariah on Twitter, and I said he implements the manager's tactical instructions better than any player in the England squad. Now, he's in that squad for the intangibles. I know people hate that. They 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 think of a number 10 and they want creativity, goal contributions, um, that X factor. But Mason Mount gives you something different. Well, Not necessarily. Sorry, sorry. I just, I've got to ask you this because... I completely understand what you're saying, bro. And in fact, I, I, you're, you're right. However, before, before you even get into it, is that what you need from a number 10? Um, that's where Mason Mount is playing. Is that what you need from a number 10? Mason oh, Mount Southgate keeps picking player. him, so I'd say in Southgate squad, yeah. It uh, depends on the squad, to be honest. Um, uh, and for this squad, he's the, the way... Based on what he's getting into, like now Southgate can pick his eleven without without kind of any questioning based on the success, and he constantly picks Mason Mount when Mason's available. Obviously, outside of the the whole quarantine and isolation thing. Now, um, just to go just to continue what I was saying in terms of what he gives you differently. Technically, his first touch is superb. It's up there with like some of the best guys in the squad, mm. but um, he's always in the right place at the right time. Um, his tracking, um, his tracking and his decision making is top tier. And in terms of his football, in, in terms of his reading of the game and understanding of the game, um, it's hard to find anyone who can um, be as fluid because um, you take out Mason Mount out of that system, the system changes and without the same level of fluidity. So Mason Mount's understanding of the game allows him to. go okay I can be a tradition I can I can be a situation oh no the midfield is getting a bit overrun I can drop into being a three or I need to cover certain areas while maybe a Calvin Phillips progresses the ball a bit a bit further it's that football knowledge and the engine on him that Southgate and most managers probably like about him because you take him out of that team and you have to you don't have that that same fluidity with anyone else in the squad you tell them you're a pure 10 or you're a box to box or um just keep an eye you're, you're covering to let another midfielder progress the ball but with Mason Mount you have someone who can read the game the flow of the game and make those uh, make those changes in game that's like a football manager cheat code um, in my opinion. So that's why Mason Mountain is in the squad, but he just doesn't do it from a sexiness perspective in terms of um, creativity, goals. And I see what, what um, why people like Meads has critiques of him. 
Like, nah, I, the thing is, I don't really have critiques of Mason Mount as a player because I think he's a great player. I think he's very, very good. But one thing that no one could ever convince me of is him being a, a, a 10 and him playing there. Is, I don't think he ben- I don't think he actually helps the team from an especially from an offensive perspective in the number 10 role. I think you're always going to be better suited. Like, say, for example, where Matt, um, Calvin Phillips is playing um, for, for England. Calvin Phillips and Mason Mount, especially Mason Mount and his engine, probably gets through a lot of a similar dog work to what Calvin Phillips does. I mean, Phillips is almost playing like an advanced, not even advanced midfielder. I think he's, he's less defensive um, than, than he really is stationed at Leeds. I think in Leeds, he's the number six, so he doesn't really venture forward that much. I think for England, he's like a Roman destroyer. I think Mason Mount could pretty much play that role quite comfortably. You know what I mean? I, I, and again, and then you could put someone that is, as well as a hard worker, but a little bit more creative in those pockets. I think Mason Mount, one of the best things about Mason is his ability to receive the ball in a half turn. But in international football, that space is very, very small and limited. And when you get that, and when you don't have that, you can be problematic. It could be a problematic because what happens often is that when you try and, I guess, receive it on a half term and someone's into you straight away, the, the, the attack breaks down and then bang, they're on you. It happened a number of times against Denmark where, you know, he's trying, he's trying to turn or trying to play a clever pass through the lines. I don't think that's really his game. And then the, 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 the attack breaks down and then Denmark are onto us and Denmark's transitions were very, very dangerous. So... I understand that, yeah, he, he can be that, you know, a tactical brain and a, I guess a technical, tactical cheat code, but in the right position. not in, When you're not in the right position, I think it doesn't help anybody. Um, but like you said, who am I? Southgate has seemingly got things right um, because of the results. Even though I don't look at football like that because I don't think that just because of the results, you've got things right tactically because... You look at Didier Deschamps, he won the World Cup and there were some decisions that were made that weren't really great and a lot of people criticised him for it, but you've got the players and when you've got good players, they can bail you out of your decision-making sometimes. So I think it's important to to note that, you know what I mean? Rather than say, yeah, he's getting it right because of the results. I think, look, you can get the, you can get the results irrespective of having making um, good or bad decisions, you know what I mean? I'm going to disagree on both counts, Meads. Um, firstly, firstly, it's um, obviously, it's a results-backed business. So um, if Southgate plays the worst football ever and he wins the Euros and the World Cup, nobody bats an eyelid. Um, and in regards to Mason Mount in the right position, everything I said about him, um, and the fact that he's a tactical cheat code lies in the in, in in the fact that he doesn't need to be in a set position to give you all of those things. But he'd be better. It'd be better suited if he played in a more central position. I think. Look, regardless of that, well, I don't think we're going to agree because I, I just don't think he's a ten. And because he's not, oh, a 10, yo, yo, can I jump in on this? Like basically. Um, Firstly, Mason, if you're listening, you should pay me money for how much I defend you in the Touchline Cracker Discord. <laughs> and yeah, everyone should join the Touchline Discord if you haven't. It's great. Um, cheeky little plug. But yeah, um, Mason, um, so 
I know I kind of agree with what Timson said. It's not the sexy side of football. It ain't what people want to see, but it's what Southgate wants. Um, I saw a graph that on average, he gets through 22 pressures a game. Um, I think Foden was like 17 and Grealish was like 13. So you'd say Grealish and Foden are probably, maybe Sancho are the ones that would play in that position instead. Um, so that isn't um, an intangible. That is a, like, that's a base level that whatever game Mason Mount plays, he is going to pressure like a number of times more than other people. Um, whereas the others, yes, they're better creatively. They're better at picking the final pass. They're better, but there's no kind of guarantee that they are going to do that. Um, whereas there's a guarantee that Mason is going to press and it's, he's going to do that. And it's kind of cancelling out the variable, basically. You're taking out something. Southgate knows that Mason on that pitch is going to do what he says and he can plan around that, if you know what I mean. That's why I think managers look at Mason like, yeah, you're integral to my squad, uh, to my team, because I know what I'm going to get when I put you on the pitch. And I also think his kind of final third play is exaggerated to push the point forward. Um, yes, he's maybe not as good as Grealish and Foden in the final third areas, but he's not bad. He's got a very good first touch. Um, and he's his best at, like you said, when he's receiving on the half turn. But in this England setup, Phillips and Rice do not pass to him in the right areas. They don't give the ball to him when he needs it. He's best when he's receiving it, when he's popping it off one time. And yeah, I just don't think it's the best for him in this setup. But in terms of, yeah, he gives what you know he's going to give. And I think that's why it's so important. I just, oh, Sam, I, I completely hear you. I do, I do. But at the same time, it doesn't take away from the fact that he's just not a 10. And what you want from a 10 is literally to be the creative hub of a team. Now, I completely get it. I get it that if, for example, Mason is being set out tactically to do certain things, fine. But when it comes to a 10 and a traditional 10, I think this is why it rubs people up the wrong way. Because um, again, in no way am I saying Mason Mount's not a good player. Because you know I do. I think I think he's cold. Yeah. But what you need from a ten generally is the capacity to create. And the reason why early on Kane was struggling hard is because he wasn't getting enough of the ball. Balls weren't coming into the box one in terms of crossing, and two. Balls weren't getting slid through the lines because Mason Mount was playing left wing when he's playing in this number 10 role. He moves out to the left wing and he's not really connecting with anybody. Do you think that's Mason's fault? He didn't play in the Germany and the Czech Republic game. I, 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 know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But what I'm saying is, generally, the number 10 should be a creator. And I think against Germany, we played three. Four, I agree, but do you not, could you not argue that that's our view of football and football has changed? Because how many top teams play a number 10, like a kind of old school number 10 that creates and does all that stuff. Most of your creativity comes from out wide now and the middle is just for like kind of, yeah, yeah. like Tim was saying, all rounders kind of do a bit of everything. Yeah, and this is why I don't think we can play 4-2-3-1. This is why I've always said Chelsea shouldn't play 4-2-3-1 either. I've always been an advocate of doing away with the formation because it doesn't help in terms of modern football. It's not good in terms Agreed. of modern football. You know what I mean? So that, yeah, that's man. why I've always been an advocate yeah, of Mount being, you know, in the midfield because that that's where he's, he, he suits. Even if you play from a, mm. like a, um, from a, um, from a player that's a six, for example, even Declan Rice, who's not necessarily good on the ball, but if you play Rice at the base and he's got 
two passing options rather than one in front of him, I think he'd be better. I think he'd be a lot better. Same with Phillips. Because whenever, for example, Rice okay. comes off, Hendo comes on, and um, Phillips drops into that number six position by himself, you see him breaking lines comfortably because he's got way more options in front of him. You know what I mean? So that's just my view anyway. All the while, I'm not a professional coach. I don't, I don't really, but that's just my view anyway. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, it's fair enough. He's very, very polarising. Yeah, it's a very polarizing the, the debate whenever it comes to Mason Mount. And that was a very good um, debate, actually. And I, I did enjoy sitting back and listening to you guys. But yeah, um, so to go on to another um, English player, he's not a Chelsea player at the moment, you know. Well, yet, as some people would say, but Declan Rice, you know, there's been a lot of um, discourse around him, you know. Will he come in and replace Jorginho? You know, like, we need Declan Rice. And, well, Sunday... We have a final, and not to say that I'm going to judge. You know what? What? Who's the better player? Or yes, you will, Babs. No, 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 no. Because you, you know, <laughs> I, I, I am, I am not, I am not in the Declan Rice hive. You know, you know, you know that means. You're not really in the Jorginho hive either. I'm playing with you. You're not Declan Rice hive either. Yeah, you know I'm not Declan Rice hive. I'll be honest. I, I, hey, I've got no horse in this race. Do you know what it is, though, Babs? What you're going to do, yeah, is you're going to like, okay, look. Because you've slightly been saying maybe Rice might make sense. You've been saying that a couple of times. Don't think I clocked you. You said that a couple of times in the season, yeah? And I look, with J5, yeah, you're not a fan. Just you've not, He's impressed you over the last couple of months, but you've just never really taken to him, yeah? Now, this match is going to be for you. <laughs> you're going to be deciding, okay, do I get on board with Jorginho or does Rice show me something? I think that's all it is for you. You're, you're, it's going to give you something to work with because right now you're on the fence with both of them still. Hey, what I'm going to say is it, it, it gives me endorphins because at the end of the night, I'm going to be able to slander one of them. And that's, that's, <laughs> and that's all I need. That is all I need. But yeah, me, since I'm with you right now, I want to get your opinions on um, both um, midfielders' um, Euro campaign. You know, Jorginho, has been, he's been a pivotal spearhead in um, yeah. Italy's campaign. And what a way to sum up his campaign, that penalty against Spain, ice cold. Yeah. In the words of Trey Young, straight in the veins, like that—that that kind that of penalty, cold penalty cold. was ridiculous. I don't—I don't want to get your opinion on them both of them, especially Jorginho and Meads. All right, so I think they've had contrasting tournaments. Um, you know, Deckham. Look, it's funny because it's almost like back to the Mason Mount kind of debate, like because we've been winning. You know what I mean? Certain roles in the side you can kind of overlook because you've been winning. Now, Deckham Rice for me. England have been keeping clean sheets. Has that been because of Declan Rice? Has he played? Has that been because of Declan Rice? No. But has he played his part in the result in getting those clean sheets? Probably yes. Has he had a good tournament? No. I don't think Declan Rice had a good tournament. I think a lot of the reason as to why, when it comes to playing against these top sides, that we struggled to retain the ball in certain areas or even create chances and isolate our attackers so much. Um, it's because the midfield haven't been progressive enough with their passing. Um, I know people say, oh, yeah, he could do it at West Ham. You know, he does it at West Ham, blah, 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 blah. But I'm not seeing... I, I don't, one, I don't see it often enough at West Ham. And two, for England, he's absolutely scared to pass that ball. Just pass it. Sometimes, like, you're going to make mistakes in, those, in that position. Like, it, it's going to happen eventually and sometimes. But... I think the, the over-cautiousness of Declan Rice is harming the side. It's harming the side because you're getting your lead. Saka is isolated. Sterling has to drop deep to get the ball. Kane has to drop deep to get the ball. Mason Mount has to drop super wide or he has to move out to left wing to receive the ball. It's just, it's a, 
it's just a bit of a nightmare. Um, and in contrast with Jorginho, who takes the ball off his centre-backs and says, give me the ball, I'm taking control. And he's been, Jorginho's been exceptional. He's been exceptional. But funny enough, his style of play doesn't surprise me that he's been so good because I've always said that Jorginho is excellent for high-level games. Like it, As much as I've not been his biggest fan for, for the Premier League because I think that physically the Prem is so taxing, and obviously we know that Jorginho's physically just not, he's not there. But we can't deny it. That guy gets through, he gets through mad work, even in the Prem. Tackles, interceptions, recoveries, a ball retention, passes, um, you know. And whilst, again, he's not the most adventurous, he's not going to get the sexy assists all the time, Jorginho progresses play. Like, when he's in, I guess, in the midfield, in the six by himself, he progresses, he progresses play. Italy, generally their midfield have been excellent, absolutely excellent, um, regardless of who's come in. But Jorginho has been the mainstay, um, you know what I mean? And he's probably in, in the running for player of the tournament alongside Raheem Sterling. Um, yeah, because they, they've both been super, super good um, throughout the tournament. You know what I mean? So it's been a contrasting display from both defensive midfielders in terms of Declan Rice and um, Jorginho. It's not been all bad for Declan Rice because he has put in some good defensive performances. Um, but just with the ball, I think that's where his biggest issue is. And if he could adapt or if he could improve, then, you know, you might be onto something. But from what I've seen of him, he is pretty limited in that midfield, you know what I mean? Fair enough. And Timson, I want to get your opinions on um, the two of those guys' um, performance of the year as of yet. Um, so with Jorginho, he's had... Um, a much more prominent role in the squad in terms of um, kickstarting attacks, kind of playing that quarterback role and stepping up in crucial moments and obviously scoring that sublime penalty um, and shutting up pretty much all of his haters up. Um, even the most ardent Jorginho hater will um, uh, will help, can't help but raise their hands and say Jorginho super. Declan Rice, I've seen, I've got more questions than answers um, in comparison to some of the some of the critiques I had of him. Uh, I don't know why, but he's always got his back to goal um, when receiving the ball. So he's kind of forced to give it back. Um, he's been, while Jorginho has been kind of like the, um, the conductor of his team's play and attack, Declan Rice has been more of, um, he's been more of a compliance officer in an office space in the sense that he his job is kind of to stomp out any kind of potential risks. So that also inhibits his progressive passing um, or any other player's attempt to, at progressive passing. So he's kind of like, okay, let's not do anything too crazy. Okay, let's think about this. Okay, let's make sure um, we're not putting ourselves at risk. Um so it's it's been it's been somewhat underwhelming. The fact that um, they made the change in the last game to kind of have Kevin uh, have more progressive as 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 the more ball dominant defense holding midfielder because he's more he's better at progressing the ball for England is um, it's quite a concern if you're a Chelsea fan that wants to bring him in. But ultimately, I think um, it's clear who's had the better tournament. Well agreed. Well agreed. And yeah, so to wrap up that um, section you know, before we head over to the listeners' questions. So, yeah, um, in, in my opinion, you know, I, I do think, you know, Jorginho, he's been, he's been literally, he literally hasn't put a foot wrong, you know, in that Euro campaign. You know, a lot of people were saying he didn't have much of an impact against Spain, which I agree with, but you, you still saw him steadily going about his work, you know, breaking up play, intercepting play. 
And what, what what can I say? You know, like any player that has to be man marked by two players, it just goes to show you the level of influence not only did they have on the team, but just how good of a player that they actually are. Broski, man had eight recoveries, like five tackles, like most of the, the entire game, bro. Like as much as he had a bad performance with the ball, off the ball, he was incredible. Oh, no, no, I've, I've agreed with you. I, I've said he, he was very good off the ball. Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, generally, the fan perception that he was really poor. Oh, I got you, bro, got you. Yeah. He always covers the most distance, man. He always bro, covers the most distance. He mashed work. Jorginho mashes work. And for all mm. the lack of physicality the guy has, he mashes work defensively. And I don't think that's something you can really label at Jorginho anymore because when you watch the game and look at how much work he gets through, you can't really say he's a, a liability defensively. You could say physically he might have li- he's a liability in terms of transition, but yeah, man, the, the work he gets through, incredible, proper incredible, man. And everyone in the team rates him. Everyone, like everyone, that like world class players like Verratti, even. And I don't think anyone could disagree that Verratti is a world class player, but Verratti thinks that Jorginho is Italy's most important player. So for a world class player to be saying that kind of shows you the, the esteem and levels that Jorginho has held at. And maybe it might be a bit of a, a stretch for us to say that Jorginho's world-class. But when world-class players rate him, it says a lot. It does. Got to agree. You are spot on there. So, yeah, so now we're going to head over to listener questioners. You know, guys, as Sam did mention earlier, the Discord is live and popping every single day, every single minute. Literally, if I check my phone right now, there's probably 100 messages waiting for me to go and see. You know, it's a bubbling community. You've got multiple, you know, you've got all the fan clubs being represented there. You know, you've got the E frackers for gaming. You've got you've got courtside frackers for basketball. You know, you've got pit stop frackers for F1. Literally every single avenue you go, and not even just that, not even just that. You've literally got you've literally got so many different communities where you can go and discuss all sorts of things. And I mean, hey, you know, like I don't know about you guys, but me personally, you know, I'm I'm loving it right now. But yeah, so now to head over to the listeners' questions, the first one. Shout out, um, shout out, Toby. He asked them, um, of all the players um, who've had breakout tournaments, which one should we look at, and which one should we say ain't no way they're coming near the club? I'm going to start with you with that one, Sam. Um, in terms of breakout tournaments, what like young players or just? I think just players in general. You know, players that may not have been on your radar that you said, you know what? Yep. I'd love my Chelsea and players that you thought would say that no, ain't no way he's coming. Um, so obviously that spin ad Zola. Um, I would have said, yeah, I wouldn't have minded him as a wing back, but now he's I found out he's like 28 and he's got a bad injury. I'd say, nah, I don't want him anymore. Because I did read that we were maybe interested in him a little bit. Um, who else has been really good in tournaments? Schick, um, I was I was obviously um, you know they kind of do those pieces. I was reading about Schick before the tournament, and it kind of seems that he he does quite well for his club. Um, so yeah, Schick I think would be an option um, as we do kind of need a forward. But I don't really know. I don't like to judge off Euros. I think there's so many kind of bad decisions that are made after international tournaments. Um, if they weren't on our radar before then I don't really want him to be on our radar now, if that makes sense. I don't want to judge off an international tournament. It just, it never works. It's like seven or eight games that are at a completely different pace. Things, there's so many variables and 
yeah, in terms of who, like, if they weren't on our radar before, I don't want them to be on our radar now, if you get me. Yeah, well put together. And um, next up for you, Meads, um, Sar- Saroja, he wants to know, um, what do you think of um, Chris's improvement in form? You know, he knows you're a big fan of um, Chris's. I'm guessing he wants to hear your your praises for the guy. There's, um, I've already got my, um, I've already done my lap of honour, bro. Um, because no one could tell me that this guy's not a top CB. No one can. No one can. He is. He is. Chris Jensen is tops. You know what I mean? Top quality. And he's come of age. I think, what, 25 now? I feel like maybe I was placing a bit too much pressure on him as a young player, when, you know, 21, 22, when he come back from Gladbach. Um, because I, I saw in Germany that he was already ready. Um, but I think maybe I kind of estimated it a bit too soon. Um, so I'm really happy. I'm really happy that, you know, he's, he's shown level, shown what he's capable of now. Um, and he's just an under, undeniably quality CB, composed on the ball, strong in the air. I think even now he's strong in the air. Like He was beating Harry Kane all ends up yesterday. Everything in the air, he was just beating him. Um, so, yeah, and, yeah, just quality player, man. So, yeah, really happy for him. Really happy for him. I'm really hoping that Chelsea give him a new deal. I'm hoping that they can come to an agreement soon enough. Um, but, yeah, man, Chris Jensen, quality. What can I say? What can you say? And, yes, head over to the Twitter questions. Um, first question from Mark. Shout out, Mark. He does his thing with the coaching. You know, he supports us with the, with the show. You know, we, we thank you for your support. We appreciate you. He wants to know, um, with um, the preseason coming up and it being a disjointed one, with the Copa America, the Olympics, you know, the the year of the year has been quite late on. Do you think we might see changes in the formation or will we stick with a, a three, four, three? I'm gonna start with you with you means on that one. Do you think preseason, how it's been broken up will have a, will have an effect to the formation that we play? Um maybe. I think we're kind of gonna stick with the three four three for now. Um that being said, Tuchel is very tactically fluid. I know he stayed quite regimented and you know, rigid in regards to the free for free throughout um, his time. Yeah, but that being said, Tuchel's finally going to have a preseason. He's going to be able to work with the players now into different tactical setups, different ideas, different, you know, compositions. So I don't think that's the preseason is necessarily going to have too much of an impact. I think, oh no, sorry. I think the preseason is going to have an impact into, you know, his ideas and what he can kind of experiment with. Um, but I think the three four three is pretty much going to be here to stay. I I, I kind of hope so too because I I think really and truly under the right management and under the right execution it could be a very offensive formation. I think you obviously we saw under Antonio Conte we saw we saw both sides of the the formation in the first season that was an absolute machine. Like offensively, we were popping people off the pitch, like the battering teams. Um, but then in the second season, it became very defensive, very, very defensive. So um, hopefully on the Tuchel, we're going to keep seeing the, you know, I guess the, the offensive side to it. Um, hopefully we get a bit more creative in there because I did think that we kind of struggled um, creatively. Um, but yeah, man, I don't think it's going to change too much. But um, what do you think though, Babs? I, I, I don't even know. Really. You know what? I, I think it's a very interesting because if you look at some of the players that come back from um, preseason quite early, you know, you've got Livermento is going to be available. You know, you've got Henry Lawrence is available from the under 21s. You've got Dujon Sterling. You've got Guehi. So these are players that are quite used to formation already. So 
I do feel like they will be able to understand the fundamentals that Tuchel wants to implement with it. And I do think it's, it's a formation that will actually um, suit them. You know, we've also got Tre- Trevor Chalaber coming out. You know, he, Tim's is a big fan of his and he's done a quite a good role at um, Lorient in terms of being able to be that like a marauding centre-back who's able to come into midfield as well. So I do think the formation is here to stay. And as you said, I'm I'm not I'm not um I'm I'm definitely not, I'm, I'm definitely not against it, you know. As long as the creativity and issues are sorted out, you know, because obviously there have been some games last season where we did struggle to break down um, break down opportunities in teams, you know, games such as um Leeds, Leeds away, that's one that really points out to me. Brighton at home, that's another one that really points out to me. If we're able to really strike that balance, you know, and I were able to get that extra attacking player in, whether it be a wing back or centre mid, I think it'll be a formation that will be formidable for, for seasons to come. And yeah, so I'm going on to the next question um, from Silver from Silver Dollar on Twitter. Shout out you. He wants to know, and this is a very interesting one. With the current financial state of Barcelona, which of their players will he take at the moment? I'm going to start with you, Sam. Uh, De Jong. I'd definitely take De Jong, like 100%. I'd nab him straight away if they do have financial. He's on, their wage bill is mad. Um, but I don't know if any of their players can expect if they do have to sell players to get the same as what they're getting at Barcelona because, yeah, some of them are on some crazy wages. Um, but yeah, De Jong is one I'd take straight away. Uh, Pedri as well, both of them, quality. Pedri, I don't think, even if they were in a financial state, they'd probably sell him just because... I doubt he's on as much as them and he's kind of a younger player. Um, but yeah, De Jong is the one that comes right to mind. I'm not like a massive fan of Barcelona's team at the minute anyway. Um, if, if we're including Messi, then yes, I would take Messi. But I think, I think that's pretty obvious. I don't need to state that I'd take Messi, even though yeah. he's a million a week. Just for definitely, a year. Definitely. And, uh, funnily enough, as you say, Messi is a free agent right now. So, hey, who knows? Me. Yeah, it's... man. Throw the bag at him. Um, I think Barcelona are mid FC right now. I, there's not really many that I'm really keen on. Pedri looks nice, but we've got Gilmore. Do we need a Pedri? Yeah, I'm okay. That, that They're different players, but I think in our, in our team, you're going to have a Pedri who would be, I guess, tasked with being a bit more creative. Um, but then, do you take Mason Matt out of the team for Pedri? Probably not. Um, so, Pedri, maybe, just because he's a, he's a quality player. Um, don't really fancy the link with Griezmann. Um, not a fan like that. I think Griezmann's a good player, don't get me wrong. But the amount of money he'll probably cost in terms of salary and stuff, not keen. Who else is there? Great boy. He looks quite decent, but I don't think he's a Chelsea-level player. But good player. Patty, if he didn't have loads of injuries, he was mm. looking good. That, that, that was the player I was going to mention. And Sufati, yeah. yeah. of course. I think, I don't know what's happened to him. I think he had a mad injury and it's it's just gotten worse. Um, I really hope he can come back because he's a super talented player, man. Super talented player. Um, you know, they, they just got rid of um, a couple of players to Wolves. Um yeah, there's no one I really would be keen on super like maybe Dembele, but his fitness issues. <sighs> yeah, Barca are in trouble. Barca yeah, in big, trouble. big trouble. And hey, man, with with, with, with um Barca with the, the bloods, with with, with the with the blue 09, bloods, they deserve it, man. Barca man, deserve right? it. After 09, see, yeah, exactly. Um, with the bloods of 2009, still in the West London streets, and, I, and, I've <laughs> and I've been saying it, yeah. Pep's not allowed to win another Champions League because of what he did. It's not allowed. 
Because of 09, they're not allowed. Not allowed. Not allowed. Not on our watch. Not on our watch. Pepper's not allowed to win another CL. That's, that's what I'm saying. Watch. Not on our watch, indeed. And yeah, so the next question from KH No Fear or shout out you. He wants to know, um, do you guys think Chelsea are wasting time in the market? Mies, I'm going to go to you this one. No chance. No chance. I have patience, bro. It just opened in June. Calma, calma, calma. Calma. It's the 8th of July. It's the Euros as well, man. Bro, like, no one does this the Euros. Bro, 8th of July. Euros is on. How many people have actually moved? I think only people have moved. If people saw the Sancho deal and they're getting nervous. Projective one, and the reason why Sancho's got done so quickly is because Dortmund gave a deadline and said, look, yeah. if it doesn't happen before this time, forget it. So did it get done quickly or did it get done really slowly? It's no, about it two was, years. Yeah. Well, let's just say that last season, United learned from their lessons. When Dortmund say a deadline, a deadline is true. You know what I mean, so it's just one of them. I think Chelsea are still got plenty of time. You know what I mean, ideally you want to get them in for pre-season, but how many players are going to be back for pre-season with the Euros? You know what I mean? So there's still plenty of time to act. I think Chelsea fans need to be really, really patient because the club doesn't generally let us down when it comes to spending money on talent. And it's, I think that, you know, Chelsea are, you know, champions of Europe. And whilst we're not infallible and whilst we're not perfect, we've still got good players enough to go into the season confident. You know what I mean? So if, for example, we don't get our targets, then we go again, man. We go again next summer. That's what it is. We go again. So yeah, um, LCH again, shout out him in the Discord. He says, um, he wants to know, um, is the Haaland transfer off? And that kind of ties with another question from, from Kilua CFC, um, Faye on Twitter, where she wants to know, um, without a striker, is it another top four battle this season? Sam, I'm going to come to you. Uh, first up, shout out, Hunter Hunter. It's good anime. Just get that, get that little cheeky thing in there. Um... Yeah, I think without a striker, we're not winning the league. Um, our creativity issues, I think they are an issue, but they're nowhere near as big as getting someone to put the ball in the net. Football's really that simple sometimes, man. Get a striker who's going to put the ball in the net and we're going to do much better. Um, yeah, the Haaland links. I am. I saw a report. I don't know who. I can't remember who it was. But if we get Haaland, like that's it. Chelsea are done. No one else. I ain't that mad at that. Um, of course, do want like a, a couple more players and a couple more positions for depth. But if we're just buying one striker and it's Haaland, I, I can get behind that. I think we're strong enough in other areas. Maybe we can get some youth playing. Um, yeah, I think we can definitely challenge for the title with just, just a big striker, buying a big-name striker that's going to score goals. Like I said, football's simple sometimes, man. Put the ball in the net. Interesting. And you did mention creativity. So I'm going to come, to, come over to you, Meade, um, just to get your opinion on that. Do, do you think the striking issue is as pressing as the creativity issue that we've currently got in the team? Yes. I think the striking issue is absolutely pressing. Um, because whilst we have a creativity issue, let's not pretend that we didn't create loads of chances. I think our, after two Hall came in, we're the most creative team in the league. Um, yep. We created plenty of chances that just were buried. Our strikers just weren't up to it. Um, Timo Werner, you know, you know him. He's not really, he's not a composed finisher. He's not a composed, at least this season, not a composed finisher. Um, even at Leipzig, um, I remember when we were signing him. I think after Project Restart. Whilst he scored a few goals, 
he missed loads of sitters, loads of 1v1s. Um, so, yeah, Haaland for me, one thing that you almost, it's almost a guarantee from the, ever since the moment that we saw him um, for Salzburg, this kid can clap off. He will clap off. If you feed him, he'll clap off. And I think that we feed our, our attack enough for them to score goals or score more goals than they do. So the creativity um, element is pressing to an extent, but not really because I feel like we have enough in-house yeah. solutions. I feel we've I... got enough in-house solutions for that to not be that much of an issue. And generally, I think the system itself, and I said this under, um, under Conte, the system itself create enough with the system. You know what I mean? Via the system. So, um, yeah, whilst you want to get like a, a, you know, a metronome, a, a player that's going to be the creative hub on the side, um, it's not that pressing. We need a goal scorer, minute percent. And I think that's that's why every every pundit, every analyst is talking about a striker for us because that is the absolute most important thing for Chelsea if we want to go on and challenge for the league title, for sure. Well put together, Demis. I'm going to come back to you right now. So, 150 million all in. Do big it. wages coming in. Do it. The potential effects on other players' do wages. It. Do it. Do it. I'm not going to ask do it, but I'm going to ask you a very important question. What sort of output are you expecting from Harlan off that kind of feed? Will that, it see that build up? Yeah, that build up was a sucker punch because I didn't. Hey, listen, I didn't man, you, you, you know me, man. You know me. I, I've got a couple. I didn't expect that to come. You see, with Werner, I expected twenty goals at, in league. I expected twenty goals. He got six. Holland for one hundred fifty m's. One hundred fifty m's. What? What? One hundred thirty-six million pounds. One hundred fifty million euros. He has to be getting me twenty at least. That's not at least. I will not accept any less. In fact, for me, for him to be, for that, for that return on investment to be class, he needs to be hitting 20 goals a season minimum in the league every season that he's at Chelsea. He will allow, I'll allow him one off season. Two, and secondly, for him to be, you know, value for money and not like hitting bare minimum levels, he needs to be getting two and three. Every two and three. He needs to be getting two and three ratio for me. To be getting worth your your money's worth two and three. If you get two and three, a goal every two, like a goal every um, yeah, two and three, a goal ratio of two and three. I think that's comfortable because I think you're obviously going to get probably the one in two if you play Havertz like regularly up in in that um, in that attacker role, you know, in a, in an attacker behind the striker, you probably get one and two from Havertz. You might get one in three from a Mason Mount or Hudson Odoi or Pulisic. I think that'll be enough for a title charge. You know what I mean? I think that that ratio there works. Um, any less than that, it's going to be a bit of a tight squeeze. So I just feel like for Haaland, he needs to get two and three for me for that to be an excellent, you know, you know, value for money, no complaints type thing. You know what mm. I mean? I, I like how you analyze that because me and you, I think we're quite similar in that aspect that I don't really like to put numbers. I like to put rates because I feel like you don't know how many games you're going to play. So that two and three rate, I, I, I think is a good one, but for me personally, I, I'm expecting three, four, or one in one <laughs> because I, 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 150 million. I'm sorry, but that that is generational money right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah true, moment, but he's also young. He's he's generational. I think Haaland's a generational talent. The same way I look at Mbappe, I think Mbappe's a better player than him for sure. But the way Haaland is, 
at 20 years old. Nah, man. He's nah. banged at every level he's played at. He's banged at every single level. Uh, League, he's banged at the most elite level. Champions I say League. he banged like 20 goals in like 18 games or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so by that account, then, should we not expect that three and three and four, you know, one and no, one? Wait, 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 the wait, Premier wait, League's wait. the Premier League, man. Babs, Babs, we say expect. Expect is not the right word to use for 20 year olds. Mm. We should hope. For the, we should hope. We should hope for the threes and four, three and fours. We should hope, absolutely. However, we know that the Premier League is a very, very difficult beast to navigate. That's why my two and three total ratio, I'm kind of like, yeah, that's where he should really be at. You know what mm. I mean? Especially for the price tag, his factoring in his age, his talent level, you know, how much we create. Yeah, two and three, I think that's a, that's a very successful move. Any more than that, then you're you're talking about yeah, that's generational golden boot, Ballon d'Or type levels. You know what I mean? Mm, well agreed, well agreed, and well, I mean, what a, what what a way to end the episode because I don't know about you guys, but I really did enjoy that. That was a good pod, man. But yeah, yeah good fun, Sam, man. thanks again for joining us. No problem. Mead, as per usual, thanks yeah. again. Blessings, blessings, man. Peace. Okay. Peace, guys. Sports Social Podcast Network.